Hey there, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, a space where I sit down with interesting people in direct consumer, e-com and tech. I'm your host, Tim. So this is series two of 2021, and the subject I'll be exploring is something close to my heart, food and drink. Over the next six episodes, I'll sit down with leaders and innovators in the food and drink space to get their state of play, learnings from 2020, and predictions for this year and beyond. On the first episode, I chat with Claire Warner, co-founder of the non-alcoholic aperitif brand, Acorn Drinks. We discuss her transition from big corporate to startup, the concept of unlearning, Acorn's unique product development process, and whether isolation has actually made us more open to new things. Before we get into it, quick word from my sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com slash your basket is empty to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Claire, welcome to the podcast. How are you and where are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me today. I am in a very windy East London today, looking out of a out of the window. It's very sunny, but I took the dog for a walk this morning and nearly got you know blown away. So, but uh, all good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. I uh, equally uh, as windy and, and not uh, dis, uh, a similar location. I'm in East, East London as well, and there's a tree that's fallen down on the road. I've noticed. Wow. Yeah, I know, right? Oh yeah. So I think I didn't, I didn't look like it did hurt or or damaged anything, but okay, yeah, good. it's 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 very windy. Um, right, I want to do a bit of a rewind to start us off. Uh, so talk me through your journey from LVMH to Seedlib, and then how this led to the creation of, of Acorn. Okay, um, once upon a time. Now I feel like when I talk about the story, I, I seem to kind of uh, you have to go back quite a long way. So I'll try to keep it relatively short, but I was with LVMH or the Belvedere Vodka, which is owned by um, the world's largest luxury goods company, which is LVMH. And I was with Belvedere for 15 years and um, had a brilliant time. My role there was, my role evolved, but the last sort of 10 years of my time there, I was responsible for uh, liquid development um, and so in the course of that time made 13 Belvedere vodkas, uh, many of them you can still find in uh, great retailers today, um, and loved, loved that journey and, and learned a lot. But during that time, I became very interested in, um, firstly, my own personal health and well-being, you know, how can I travel the world um, 70, 80% of the year and still be fit and healthy? So got into running got into understanding more about why nature is so restorative and try to apply a lot of that to the work that I was doing at Belvedere um, and wanted to bring more of the natural world into the work that we were doing there um, and so that really that path that nature path led me to Ben Branson who at the time uh, had an agency a design creative agency um, and during a sort of 
process of trying to update our flavored vodka packaging called I called in lots of agencies to um to to brief or pitch for the work and Ben was one of them and so we really geeked out about nature he's a for anybody that doesn't know is a is huge huge nature obsessive his family have been in farming for over 300 years he himself um is really passionate about the, the natural world um and so we just really geeked out about nature and he lent me a book uh, which was called biomimicry which blew my tiny mind at, at the time because I, I just hadn't realized how you could really incorporate so much of uh nature's gifts into into the work that I was doing on vodka and the work that he was doing on design um, and so uh, he says I stole that book I kind of say that I, I borrowed it for a very long time but yep. Yep. essentially uh, a few years later he he sent me an email to say look uh, I, I want to continue to change the world. I'd like you to help me do that. Would you join me uh, at Seedlip and um, you know help change the way the world drinks? And at that time, 15 years in, I was ready for a new challenge. I was ready for a new adventure. And I was absolutely passionate about combining my love of food, drink and nature uh, to create something new in the non-alc space. Wow. That is uh, serendipitous. Yeah. Um, so, so j just so I'm clear, so so when you you, you met Ben with the engagement with uh, uh, with Belvedere, the, the seed lip thing wasn't a thing yet. So then he they they went off and did their thing, and you guys kind of came back together a few years later. Is that how it worked? Yeah, exactly. So he he would bring me this seed lip thing that he was working on, and I think I was maybe one of the first people that told him he was crazy and that what, what was the point um and but then you know he persuaded me that this was actually something that was necessary and I took him to Berlin to present Seedlip to about 300 bartenders while I was still with Belvedere because we were talking about the highball and you know the future of the highball uh future of like tall drinks and I thought you know here's a great opportunity to really test whether the bartending community will will buy into this new sort of concept of a distilled non-alcoholic spirit and um you know, if anybody's not met Ben, he's incredibly persuasive, very inspiring, and uh, he blew them away. And this product, you know, Seedlip at the time hadn't been launched. And, um, you know, he continued to just surprise um, and delight everybody from bartenders to consumers with this great product. So I watched from the sidelines thinking, wow, I mean, goodness, I had no idea that this was this was a this was something that was so needed you know he neatly articulated the dilemma of you know what to drink when you're not drinking in seed lip and it, even though i'd been in the drinks industry for such a long time it hadn't really occurred to me that, that a product could really transform the way we thought about how we drink and particularly how we think about what we drink when we're not drinking um and so yeah so i saw i watched seed lip you know really capture our imagination from the sidelines and um when he wrote to me to say you know i want to I want to create a new brand would you come and help me i was like oh my god i'd be crazy not to you know this man really is changing the way we drink uh, and changing the way the world drinks and thinks about drinks so um yeah i i, I bit his arm off <laughs> <laughs> so i i'm always intrigued about how not just these sorts of concepts start which i find fascinating um but also the first like little or the first few months and like inflection points at the start. So talk me through the first 
you know, few months uh, or to a year. I do appreciate there's a rather large event that happened quite early on <laughs> into your journey, which we'll get to uh, maybe a little bit later on. But like, yeah, talk me through 2018 and into 2019. Like, what was it like? Did it go to plan? Did it not go to plan? Um, you know, I, I think back to the first six months um, and I think I spent most of that time either exhilarated, terrified, really excited, you know, as all of the emotions. And of course, you know, we had some things went really well and then things didn't go so well. And Ben and I would always sort of joke that we felt as though we were on a sort of game of snakes and ladders. And one, you know, every Friday you'd have like a a recap of what's you know what's happened that week and it would be like oh this was great oh this was not so good um so it was a really it was a really exciting time I can't remember who said it to me but somebody at the time said you know um excitement and terror are the same energy it's just you know how you think about it mm. which I thought was was really interesting but it was a really it was a really exciting time I also had not realized, I think, how much um, sort of scaffolding I had around me at LVMH, um, just in terms of the structure of the business, the um, the age of the brands that I was working with, um, you know, just just all of the all of the stuff that was around me. And then when you walk away from that, just firstly how freeing that can be, but also, you know, there's there's no safety net. So much more risk, much more, uh, you know, we were, we were making these decisions all by ourselves. There wasn't a sort of committee of people helping us make decisions. So it was a very exciting time. Um, and I had many, many sleepless nights, but we, I felt, we felt that we were really working on something very different and what was exciting it was very very different to Seedlip we weren't trying to recreate what Ben had made we were working in an entirely new sort of area of non-alk and again the new sort of technology and the and the science that comes with that so everything was was new and we were learning lots so we were making lots of mistakes um, but Ben likes to move fast properly at pace, politely, properly at pace is Ben's sort of famous motto. And so we would just, you know, move fast, break things, figure it out and can keep continuing uh, until, until, you know, we're, we're still doing that today. Um, but it was, it was a very exciting, very exhilarating first few months. And, and talk to me a little bit about like the, the, the team around around you at that time and what does it look like now is it still pretty lean was it lean at the time yeah it was very lean um we we weren't so so when i joined seedlip um seedlip you know was uh two and a half nearly three years old at that time had a very established team around it and we weren't sure whether we should come into the seedlip team fully because perhaps we would distract uh the Seedlip team who had a big job to do still um, and you know here was a shiny bright new thing and so we we sat sort of outside of the business for a little while while we were in development our development phase so we had a very small team we had a, a our first team member was an our ops manager Kat um, and Kat is a magician she can just make 
stuff happen out of thin air. So she was, it was just me and Kat for a little while. Um, and then we, we slowly started to grow the team as we got a little closer to launching Acorn. So introduced, you know, a marketing manager, a PR manager. Um, and then as we launched, we recognized that we could work um, much more efficiently, much more effectively if we were actually part of the seedlit business itself. So we were, so we integrated into that business for, more fully um, and that just helped us go, go much faster, really. You touch on it a little bit there in terms of timelines and, and how it all fits together. Um, and I, I've, uh, I know you talked about this on, a, on, a, on another interview uh, I saw Um but talk me through how does the like development process work? This is coming from a total outsider, right? I really love food and drink and like really into that stuff. So I'm always um, interested in how it works from, you know, like the supply chain process and the development process. Like how does it work from idea to, you know, the bottle being at my table, either at a restaurant or in my home? Mm, that's a really great question. And I think, um, I mean, this is the second product that I've made, you know, with, with Belvedere, we were making iterations of Belvedere within a very um, established um, sort of production um, uh, sort of um, you know, we had the distillery, we had bottles, you know, everything was already set. But with Acorn, everything was all new. And so that that is really my only experience of making something entirely from scratch. So I would say that I would guess that every development process is kind of a little bit different, um, depending on, on what it is that you're trying to achieve. But I mean, we we started with, you know, what what do we what do we think is really missing in the non-alc space? And for me, it was how can you drink something non-alcoholic that is complex, multifaceted, um, and really can stand up and complement food? That was that was what I wanted to try to create knowing that non-alcoholic wine still has quite a long way to go seedlip really had done an incredible job in defining the the non-alc distilled spirit um you know and all the great stuff that you can do with seedlip in terms of cocktails but i want i wanted something that could stand on its own two feet be enjoyed neat be worked into cocktails as a modifier could work with food so we really took inspiration from aperitifs and looked to europe and looked in our own history books for inspiration so that was the starting point and also you know not it was important not just to create something that we wanted to drink, but also to know that our consumers, our future customers would also want, th want to drink this. And so we looked at, you know, the, of course, you know, food and drink trends, what type of flavours were um, becoming more uh, popular and bitterness uh, had been growing in popularity for the last sort of five, 10 years. Um, I don't know if you remember when uh, Beyonce wore a sweatshirt that said kale on it. That was about 10 years ago. No, so. I don't. I must, I'll look it up <laughs> after this. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, kale, kale, kale became, you know, that 
that vegetable that everybody oh kale's in the vegetable kale. right yeah, yeah, got yeah, it yeah kale, yeah exactly, no yeah. crispy kale yeah no i get yes yes, yes yeah yeah yes, and so yes, so i don't know if you remember then everybody was just had kale on their menus and i think yep. that was the story that yep. you know kale even had its own pr manager but anyway you know, so <laughs> but bitterness really had been bubbling along in the background you know our love of um you know bitter leaves dark chocolate you know dark uh espresso coffees you know so this bitterness trend had been bubbling along in the background and um so that that bitterness plus um within the drinks industry just a, a, a renewed love of lower proof uh products such as vermouth um italian amari all of those things you know combined to inspire us to create something in that vein in the non-alc space that could work with food that could be mixed into cocktails and to you know wasn't wasn't defined by its alcohol content or lack thereof it was more about a, a botanical richness which isn't dependent on alcohol and so um, we're not starting from a place of you know let's take the alcohol out of this and create something non a non-alcoholic version of it it was more let's create something really botanically rich and really complex um, and something that we know from a flavor profile will work with a variety um, of foods and in a variety of ways so that's where the process really begins and then you start to build um, you know flavor map flavor profiles um, then we worked with a really great um, sort of food scientist to help us pull together all of these ingredients from various locations um, and really then you start to hone your production process um, so you know when we're making something like Belvedere you, you know vodka has been made for seven eight hundred years there's already an established process there but when you're making something non-alcoholic everything that you're doing is is new so you know Belvedere sorry <laughs> acorn bitter has loads of citrus in it and um, citrus is really dependent you, you can extract citrus beautifully with alcohol but if you're not using alcohol how do you get your citrus to be extracted and then stay stable so all of these sorts of things you know we're trying to learn and that's just a couple of ingredients in one of our um, in one of our expressions so everything is a learning process which is why sometimes we would create something that would be beautiful and a week later you know it had fallen over and we couldn't <laughs> we couldn't pick it back up again so so you know it was it was a it was a and also we wanted to launch with a range so you're working just not with you know one product with but with three very different expressions so everything was um you know painstakingly picked over so the flavor profiles the ingredients we used then the production process and then once we got our concept liquids the real challenge had begun i thought naively well we've got we've got these liquids now let's just go to a production facility and make them actually in the world of non-alc there are very very few production facilities who can cope with um the sterility the stability that you need to create um all just all of the things that you need to do to create something delicious and consistent and without alcohol those production facilities are actually very, very rare. And we were taking brand new concept liquids that hadn't been you know, produced at scale um, and trying to find a production facility that would work on this stuff with us. So that was the real challenge, you know, it's not the um, uh, you know, it's, it's the it's the nuts and bolts I think that was 
some of the most challenging times that we had. Um, and we were also really keen that we would use English sparkling. Well, we were really keen that we'd have grapes as a base. Mm-hmm. We wanted to use verjou, uh, which is uh, the pressing of unripened uh, wine grapes. And um, and then we spoke to so many brilliant vineyards in this country who and we were like, hi, it's Claire from Acorn, you know, Seed Lip Sister brand. Who? No, don't know you. Um, <laughs> anyway, just just wondering if you are doing a green harvest. Now, a green harvest is what um, vineyards do to thin the, the vines to concentrate all of the sunlight onto the grapes that will eventually go on to be harvested for wine. Oh, and it typically... Yeah, it typically happens when you're making lots of wine. Um, so, you know, it's quite it's quite um, common in Australia. It's quite common yeah. in, in Canada and everywhere else. And in this country, I would be teaching a lot of these, you know, growers what, what a green harvest was. They were like, I've never heard of that. What is What are you even talking about? Um, and then we started to think, oh, crap, you know, we, we might not be able to base acorn on uh english grapes we might have to go to france or we Mm -hmm. might have to bring grapes from bloody california yeah yeah um and eventually uh and again serendipitously say that word for me again tim serendipitously thank you that word we found um one vineyard in sussex who only grows verju so only grows grapes for verju and we now work exclusively with him so so yeah so the process is um the process always takes longer than you think it's going to take. The process is always really exciting and really frustrating in equal measure. And then right at the end, um, you get something magical. And um, and that's what we've got in Acorn. That's quite, uh, yeah, that, that's quite a, a, a logistical supply chain, <laughs> operational, it, yeah. operational endeavor. So I yeah. suppose that brings me to an interesting question then which is something that i'm always intrigued about when someone starts something right and thinking about that process and the complexity and the challenges do you think it was an advantage that you've kind of come from this world or do you think it was more challenging because you knew all the challenges before they even happened um i i think it was an advantage in that i understand liquid i understand flavor I understand drinks. Um, I understand the production process, even though the previous production experience I have is with, you know, an entirely different product um, and alcoholic. So I think it was it was definitely an advantage. But that being said, I did have to unlearn quite a lot of things that I'd learned uh, over the course of fifteen years with Belvedere, and um, you know, all of the comfort that, you know, working with alcohol uh, can bring in that, you know, it's stable, you know, it's brilliant when you can, using it to to extract flavor with, um, you know, it sits on back bars for years and doesn't, you know, nothing happens to it. So all of that sort of science of liquid, I had to relearn when it came to working with something non-alcoholic um and that has been that's been fascinating and i think you know what what it did do for me is um really reassure me uh, and reinforce this belief that i have that you know with incredible ingredients with the best ingredients and the best process um, and you know, really blending to build layers of complexity, you don't 
necessarily need to have alcohol. All of that can be done with a real love and appreciation of what nature can give us. Um, and that's what I brought from Belvedere. And that's what I hope people taste when they taste acorn. I want to switch gears slightly because I feel like we've got a good snapshot of like the operational process. And I want to talk a little bit more about the brand. So um, from my perspective, I suppose an outsider, like your tone of voice, the aesthetic, the outward presence is, is really on point and really elevated and just looks and feels really, really cool. Like, how have you gone about that? Like building the brand? Cause obviously that's a whole other work stream compared to the <laughs> operational mm. and um, you know, uh, mechanics of the physical product. Yeah. Talk me through that process. Mm. Yeah. Again, it, it's, um, it's iterative, you know, it, it, it didn't emerge fully formed. Um, what was exciting for me is that when we launched Acorn, um, I, I felt that it was fully formed and that it wouldn't change necessarily. But, you know, it, it's um, for me, what happened is that Acorn almost became um, it we breathed life, life into this incredible brand. And then we really listened to our consumers or our customers talking about it, how they were using it, what they were loving about it. Um, what might, what, what was necessary, what might, what, what were we doing that might have been holding us back from connecting more deeply um, or in a more relevant way with our consumers. And so the first year we were really focusing on that sort of wine occasion and so using acorn to replace your you know glass of wine with food mm -hmm. and yes it's botanical and yes it works really beautifully as you know spritzes and all that thing but we were really focused on the wine moment and actually we started to see that when we talk specifically about food or wine in a very serious way we we it, there was some there was a disconnect something wasn't quite landing but when we started to relax a little bit more and have more fun with the brand mm -hmm. then people really started to respond to us we also felt that if we you know took ourselves too seriously then um you know it's, it's difficult to have fun with a brand if it if a brand's taking itself you know so seriously and, and we are an aperitif a range of aperitifs which in themselves are inherently social they are the drinks that you have at the beginning of a great night ahead they are the drinks that whet your appetite they are fun and um you know light-hearted in in a way and so when we started to just do more of that stuff and really then focus on bitter as our hero skew and then really focus on the spritz, the spritz occasion. It all seems to just um, then, I suppose, come together and, and we became a lot more confident in our tone of voice, in our personality, in the way that we would um, you know, appear um, in our photography it just all started to make more sense when we actually listened to our consumers and then actually tapped into what we wanted to, who we wanted to be as a brand, you know, we, we, we and, and ultimately, you know, as the founder or co-founder of Acorn, it was, it's really important that this brand feels authentic to me and who I am and how I speak and how I, you know, show up. Um, and perhaps there was a, a little bit of a hangover from the LVMH days when we would talk about champagne in this really 
um, you know, very serious way, you know, it's a, Champagne has like 300 years of heritage. So you would, you would talk about it respectfully. And I think I was maybe needed to uh, let go of some of that language and that way of speaking and just embrace the acorn tone of voice, which is much more uh, accessible, much more friendly, much more social. Yeah, I mean, you, you touched on an interesting concept before this unlearn idea yeah. that when you're in a big organization and you move to something smaller and I suppose a little bit more startup or however you want mm. to describe it. Yeah, you need to sort of, I suppose that, that's a fascinating concept. Yeah, you, you talk about the scaffolding being removed and having mm. to unlearn some of the stuff. Um, I find that's a very interesting way of looking at it. I see it as the two, whenever I talk to somebody who's like potentially going down a more, um, I wouldn't necessarily say corporate, but a bigger organization, right? Like you said, mm. with scaffolding or they want to go into mm. the startup they're kind of the pros and the cons aren't they like yes one option gives you scaffolding and you don't have to worry about like hr <laughs> or <laughs> you know when your computer breaks there's an it or some sort of you know technical team in a startup yeah. you have to deal with all that sort of stuff and i think but you've got more agency to sort of like i suppose develop and influence and, and be part of the, the vision and the direction which is slightly more difficult in bigger organizations and, and I know yeah. from experience um, yeah yeah no, 100% they both they both have pros and, pros and cons um, but it's you know it, yeah I mean they're both very very different but that that process of of unlearning and letting letting stuff go that had served me very well for 15 years but now is probably holding me back and holding the brand back and then also having the, the space and the perspective to know and the confidence to say this isn't working for us yep. let's try something new um and that is and that that does come from ben a lot of the time because he's not afraid to say this didn't work um that 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 i made a mistake you know um and i think coming from a very big organization saying you've made a mistake isn't i don't know i mean look it's it's nobody likes to say they were wrong but because in in the seedlip organization you're almost sort of encouraged to make mistakes break things mm. learn from those mistakes and then move on so you know when we sat back over the first year of looking back at acorn's life and thought you know what what could we have done better we realized that we were holding on to this wine moment far too far too long far too hard and it wasn't serving us so we just let it go and we put all of our energy and focus into really being this um you know, very fun, exciting, accessible brand that also didn't really talk about it, but we rarely talk about the fact that we're non-alcoholic. We're more about, you know, spritz with us, have fun with us, hang out with us. You know, we want to spritz with you. Oh, and by the way, we're non-alcoholic. And once we'd stepped into that brand personality, it really really resonated and it's lovely to hear you say that you know our, our tone of voice is on point and the way we look is on point because that shows me that we've made that that's the right decision that we made um because you know we're very close to it and we're always like oh is this right does this is this still okay are we still doing the right things we're we still saying the right things but when someone says oh my god we love how your brand looks and sounds you're like oh wow yeah we're on yeah no I, I i yeah and i i, I totally think it's a, it's 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 100 on point I, I wanted to sort of we've sort of touched on it a little bit i wanted to sort of just explore and unpack it a little bit further and that is like who is your customer because things are changing rapidly 
non-alcoholic stuff generally is becoming more of a thing. Um, nature is wrapped in there and getting out and, and sort of like not being confined to your immediate area. And then, you know, things like, you know, you kind of touched on it at the start there, like being more, I don't know, uh, conscious of your health and fitness and stuff like that. So is it that your, yeah, what, what does your ideal kind of customer or what do your customers look like at the moment? Are they people that were drinkers who want to explore something else? Are they drinkers who supplement this? Are they totally non-drinkers? Honestly, the short answer is um, anyone and everyone, <laughs> because um, we we don't really we don't spend a lot of time talking too much about um, the target demographic or psychographic, because there's such a wide spectrum of consumer who who's looking to moderate their alcohol consumption. Um, for a variety of reasons and that none of them are our, our business frankly but what we what we do see are you know health is a key driver we we know that people are looking to moderate their alcohol consumption to 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 balance their health and wellness needs um, and i think the last year has has really demonstrated you know, I don't if you remember the beginning of lockdown, you were either drinking too much or you weren't drinking enough. And there was just so much media attention on like, you know, what we were doing during lockdown. And um, and that maybe focused a lot of people's minds on on you know, how other ways that they could you know enjoy uh, drinking that wasn't necessarily linked to alcohol. Um, so we see so we see a, a huge spectrum of consumers. Um, a lot of our consumers are people who are alcohol, you know, drink alcohol, um, that are looking to, you know, drink something delicious, you know, either earlier in the day or you know, earlier in the week, mm -hmm. or you know, just you know, a bit bored by having to drink soda or sparkling water or you know, the diet coke when they're out. Um, and so the last year has also. Um, shown us that people are really willing to experiment and explore and you know get into this now quite large non-alcoholic category um, and you know find things that they that they love that can that can supplement or complement you know their alcoholic drinks or they can drink differently at different times of the week so um, it's a huge it's a huge spectrum of consumer frankly um, you know we right the way from you know Gen Z, who famously 40% of that cohort are, are claim that they don't drink, have never mm -hmm. drunk. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a, a, a real a younger consumer coming into the category. And then all the way up to, you know, slightly older demographic. So 55 plus who perhaps want to drink less now and are looking for still great complex adult options that just don't happen to, to contain any alcohol. So it's a big, it's a big spectrum which I think is why the category has exploded in the way that yeah. it has um, because there seems to be now you know, something for everybody. Yeah. Well, as a non-drinker, I can definitely um, confirm the idea that there's only so many Diet Cokes you can drink in one evening. <laughs> and I, I end up going to the toilet loads. It's, in, it's incredibly embarrassing, really. Uh, so <laughs> being able to slightly nest a drink for a little bit longer is is uh, is is is, is definitely. And I, I, you know, I've 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 tried non-alcoholic sort of spirits and so forth, and it is it is a different world, and it it, it does yeah. make a lot of sense. And it, and it's um, I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea of the kind of the peer inclusion thing. That's not really where I come from. It's more of a practicality thing of having a 
delicious drink that hasn't got any alcohol in it and I don't need to yeah. drink loads of them in a night uh, to enjoy myself or to feel yeah. refreshed or, you know, get a, it's all about taste, right? Like more, more in, in that line. Yeah, exactly. It's all about flavor. It's all about taste. It's all about the experience. Um, it's all about, you know, once we can get back into bars and restaurants again, it's also about feeling included in that experience and having an enjoyable experience in selecting a drink and having a conversation with a bartender about what you're drinking or sommelier, um, having that drink complement your food as much as I love Diet Coke. It's not great with food. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. So, you know, all of that is, all of that's really, really important when we, when we go out into bars and restaurants, but equally, you know, if you're, if you're at home and you just want to switch off at the end of the day and, um, you know, again, it's quite difficult to switch off the Diet Coke. So, you know, what, what can you, what can you drink that feels indulgent, feels like a treat, feels special, feels grown up, uh, that doesn't necessarily contain alcohol or contains less alcohol. So, there's, there's lots of opportunities for people to interact with the non-out category now. Um, and yeah, so that's that's why it's such a, I think that's why such, so many people are so interested in it because it seems to just touch so many different people's lives. Um, we, we slightly veered into it there and we need to explore it slightly, but I want to talk a little bit about 2020 because uh, okay. I don't think we can escape it, but I don't, I don't want to dwell too much on it. I, I want to, you and I talked about before, uh, when we chatted about this idea that maybe isolation has strangely made us a little bit more open to trying new things. So yeah. talk to me about your sort of observations there and then maybe just generally about things that you've observed f from last year, either you know personally or in your customer base or, or, or the brand. Mm. Yeah, so I mentioned it earlier, but um, we saw... Um, so firstly, the, the last year was half of Acorn's life. Yeah, Acorn's two, um, Acorn is two on Thursday this wow. week. And so, you know, it spent half of its time under the shadow of COVID. And, you know, as a very social brand who, um, you know, wants to be sampled, we want our customers to be able to sample us in bars and restaurants. The last year has been, has been obviously very challenging for us, but, um, very, very challenging for the hospitality industry. I'm, I'm very excited that they are hopefully seeing the end to, to their own personal challenges. But um, what we have seen is um, a consumer who is looking to experiment and explore new drinking options at home. And uh, we saw 20, a 23% increase in um, consumers looking to make cocktails at home and non-alcoholic cocktails featured he very heavily within that um i think we got seemed to get our sort of like you know inner tom cruise going <laughs> over the last <laughs> 12 the movie months. cocktail yeah i mean yeah, everybody seems so to be making i literally making saw cocktails. something on that yesterday it's so funny because there's like a there's a um that's so funny because i remember seeing that like when i was much younger and there was an article about what you're talking and it had the photo of cocktail. And the reason it, it, it sparked this crazy memory in my mind is there's a, there's a relatively famous Australian, maybe not international actor called Brian Brown, who was the older bartender in that movie. Yes, and I yes. totally forgot. I'm like, oh, Brian Brown was in a movie with Tom Cruise in the 80s. That is mental. So, yeah, anyway, that's funny. Yes, I, I, I do we, recall we... cocktail. We all seem to be getting doing that this this year, you know, the last twelve months or yeah. even even longer. And so, um, you know, people have discovered Acorn uh, 
in a more organic way than perhaps they would have done otherwise. So it sort of supercharged the brand from a, a direct to consumer perspective. You know, we've, we've, we've been able to really connect uh, in a much more relevant way with our consumer directly um, which is why I do a podcast, which is why I do Spritz at Six on, on Wednesday nights, which is why, um, you know, we've, we've, we've just been using Instagram as a way to really have greater, deeper, better conversations with our consumers because they're at home, because they are wanting to be entertained um, and wanting to be engaged by, by brands who, you know, we're, we're a great fun drink brand. Um, we encourage you to spritz with us and we're non-alcoholic and you know we we have quite a lot less sugar than our alcoholic competitors so like you know the health and well-being box is firmly ticked and the fun and entertainment box is also ticked and so there's been um you know i i can i can only guess but i think we've got a much more engaged community now than we might we might not necessarily have had um, were it not not for lockdown and people being at home and you know wanting wanting to discover new things. Um, so I think you know isolation has um, has had some benefits, um, but also as we come out of lockdown, I hope that we see the the forced isolation and recognise the importance of our social bonds um, to our physical health and well-being um, because again before lockdown we were living very fast very disconnected lives mm. and the last year or so without having to really see our, our loved ones I really hope that we put more value and more time and effort into restoring maintaining building back those social connections because that's the things you know as a social brand we that's our kind of purpose in a way is to help bring people together over a really great drink and I hope that more and more people as they come out of lockdown will want to socialize without compromising now that they've discovered brands such as Seedlip and Acorn they can still go out they can still tick that health and well-being box and they can still be social and that's that's what I'm hopefully you know excited for as we look ahead to where Acorn's going next. Um well, that's a nice segue into um, kind of a question I'd like to round out the, the session here with. Um, so a, as we look a little bit further then, okay, we're going to come out of lockdown, like what, what's on the horizon for, for you and the team? Is it is it going to be uh, continuing on that more direct consumer kind of strategy? Or is it that you're likely to see, uh, obviously, with bars and more social interaction, you're going to put more of your energy and focus into... Um, I suppose working with your with your vendors and how you you know connect with consumers in the real world. Yeah, I mean, gosh, we 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 need we need to get back out into bars and restaurants, all of us, you know, mm. brands, customers, everybody. So so we will be we we have our first goodness me our first um, in person event next month, um, which we're very excited about. Um, you know, we haven't yet had a full summer of spritzing, so we're looking forward to getting back into bars and restaurants and working with our partners to create, you know, spritz terraces and, you know, really 
ensure that acorn is featured on spritz and aperitif menus across the country. Um, and we will be launching in the US um, this summer. So that is really, really exciting for us, you know, to, to be able to start to spread our wings and, and look further afield to grow the brand in, in other countries is hugely exciting. Um, so yeah, so a busy, a busy few months. But, <laughs> busy but, summer but, ahead, yeah. Yeah, but, but, but ultimately, you know, getting out, we, we're going out, out. Yeah. And, you know, we won't neglect our uh, brilliant customers uh, that have, you know, been with us on this journey for the last 12 months. So we've still got, you know, great, um, you know, Instagram, um, you know, stuff going on and, you know, great partnerships online. Uh, we've just... Uh, launched our brand new website which launched last week so it's a much better consumer experience online so you know all those things are still really really important and really relevant um, but we will complement and aug augment that stuff with um, doing things in the real world which is very exciting yeah well I'm sure all of your customers are, are looking forward to that um, right I want to sort of like round it out and, and and I think we should probably bring it to a bit of a close with a with a final question so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw uh, a concept out to you so it's your last supper and you're throwing a dinner party uh, you have a three-course meal including drinks what's on your menu and who's at your dinner does it have to be three courses hey you can go it could be a tasting menu if you want i don't mind and also the reason for the last supper is totally up to you you might be have committed some heinous crime and you're going away for a long time or it's just something you know <laughs> Uh, to, to, to sort of help us spark on what is a, uh, you know, a unique meal? Gosh, um, I think it would be, I think it would be somewhere, I think I would go somewhere like, uh, you know, the, gosh, it's a really good question. You can go I somewhere would, as well. Sorry, that is a good, very good point. You, yeah. you, don't, you don't need to be throwing the thing at your place. You could, you can be like, oh, okay, I want to go to X restaurant and that could be anywhere in the world as well. Yeah, I mean, I've, I love my dining room table. It has sadly become, you know, an office, so it needs to be reclaimed. Um, but in the interim, I think I would go to uh, Sardinia and eat just, you know, a, a, a feasting family-style meal of all of the local produce, um, whatever, whatever that was good that day. Um, and you know, it wouldn't necessarily, be, this is why I was like, does it have to be three courses? Cause I love, I love sitting around with like loads of small plates and the plates keep coming and, you know, you get to the end of the evening and, you know, there's all those kind of circles on the table cloth, you know, a good, a good night is always, you know, determined by the mess of a tablecloth. And, um, yeah, we would just eat and drink and be merry until the until the sunset, and we would dance late late into the night. Did you ask me who I would who I would invite? Yeah, I mean that sounds amazing in terms of the meal. <laughs> so yeah, who, who who would be there? Um, my dog and my husband, of course. I yeah. always neglect to mention them when I <laughs> do this stuff. And the fact that we could get Mac the dog um, to another country would be very important. I would love to. Um, I'd love to bring uh, Doug McMaster, who's one of my favorite chefs from Silo. Um, he's always just so, so smart, such beautiful company, so fun to be with. Um, also Ryan Chetty-Yuadna, who is world's best bartender, all around nice guy. He could also um, make some serious drinks for us. Of course, um, Stephen Fry, because uh, he's just a legend and I would love to have some like long conversations with him. Um, Oprah, 
just because it's Oprah yeah. and, you know, she's got some stories to tell. Um, my grandma, who uh, sadly passed away 18 months ago, and she was always a good, good, good person to have at a party. Um, how many other people? Well, that's quite, I mean, I'm, 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 feeling, I'm feeling the tables full here, Claire. Like, <laughs> you're only allowed one table at this restaurant. So, you know, I think we've got to. It's a, a family style table. It's a big, long table. It is a big, I mean, long table. Yeah. This is the point. I haven't seen people for such a long time that I could literally just list my telephone book and be like, all of you, you're all invited. Um, but yeah, gosh, won't it be good for us to be able to get back out there and do do stuff like that again soon? You know, oh, really, dude, really it sounds that. so amazing, doesn't it? Sitting in the sun, yeah. a long yeah. afternoon, uh, anti-pesto, anti-pesto exactly. uh, style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing in, yeah. in Italy with all your friends and family. I mean, yeah. all of the cheese, all of the tomatoes, all of the fresh herbs, all of that lovely bread. Just, yeah, sim- a, you know, simple fare, but really like great quality and really fresh yeah. and i don't care what it is then i'll, I'll eat yeah I'll eat exactly. all day long exactly. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right well that's a lovely thought to, to, to end the podcast on claire thank you so much for joining me it was a pleasure pleasure tim thanks There you go. A massive thank you to Claire for joining me. You can check Acorn at acorndrinks.com. That's A-E-C-O-R-N drinks.com. Before I go, a quick word for my sponsor, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. If you want to learn more, go visit them at clavio.com slash your basket is empty. Before I go, as always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time. Taking notes because I don't lie.